Kansas City to New York City, from planet Earth to extraterrestrial life in space, a podcast with no equal, engaged in unconventional warfare through your speakers and headphones. This is a show about embracing the suck, conquering your demons, and finding God in the face of adversity. Chris Tonto Peranto. Switch is on. Motherfucker, I'm going to shoot you in the face. Ian Scotto. You know, Ian and I have been dating for a long time. You are now tuned into the Battle Line Podcast. The switch is on, Battle Line podcast, and uh, I, I mean, I, the funny thing is I, I've said, I said last show that we had a guest coming on that people never thought would be on the show, and I think I would think like anybody who knows my history, like knows who you are, so yeah, yeah Navy SEAL sniper instructor, author, uh, CEO of SoftRep.com, Brandon Webb. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. man. Like when you reached out, I was like, let's do this. And uh, I mean, Chris knows that I was saying, I said this to you on the phone. I said the same thing to Chris. I mean, we haven't spoken, but at the same point, I think there's like this perception that you and I hate each other or something, which is not uh, the You truth. know, that's the, that's, I mean, Chris knows as, as well as I do. There's, it's just, uh, unfortunately, a lot of drama in the mil ex-military community. I, I don't know if it's, if it's because of, um, you know, just the guys that aren't transitioning well. And, and I, I talk about this a lot. I, I was talking about this at a, my book signing last night, actually. A woman asked me about memory and trauma. And I, I, she's like, how come you transitioned okay? And other, like a lot of people don't transition well. And I think, I don't know if you can relate to this, Chris, but I, I thought about that book, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, and that, you know, a life is all about purpose. If you don't have purpose, then you kind of yeah. drift and and I think a lot of people that deployed to Afghanistan I, I went to Afghanistan in 2001 right after the towers fell and it felt very purpose driven like I, we were there to the mission was cleared kill the bad guys destroy the training camps try and get bin Laden and we mostly did that by middle of 2002 and I came back from that deployment and I felt like very like I did good work um, I didn't have you know war is terrible, but I felt there was purpose behind it. Now, fast forward to 2006 to to uh, when we pulled out. You know, 20 years in Afghanistan, 100,000 troops, 90 billion. We just left to the Taliban and equipment, yeah. and, and and I feel like a lot of guys get out of the military and, and they're they're struggling because they can't find a purpose for being in Afghanistan. 2010, losing friends seeing and doing terrible things and then you get out and it's like alcohol fueled drama on the on the internet and then the guys just love drama P human nature i think just loves drama <laughs> yeah. and, and then nah. yeah they're like fucking ian brandon must have a beef you know and, <laughs> and look i one of the reasons i'm like chris and i were talking before we went live um i'm kind of half retired. I, I enjoy working and I will continue to work, but I'm winding down my companies. I sold Crate Club. I'm probably going to get ready to sell SoftRep in the next couple of years. Because, Which I didn't know that. Because yeah. I want, yeah, not, I mean, I think it's the first time I've said it 
uh, um, publicly, but exclusive. I want to yeah, I want to <laughs> spend more time with my kids. My kids are older. I started a business with my son. He's he's running it. He's a he's a tech started a property tech business with artificial intelligence, and it's take it's like taking off. I'm like, you're going to be a billionaire. Like it's crazy. Like how how it's taken off. I, I just want to spend time with my kids, right, um, and live a good life. Um, and that's kind of my my new program. And, and Look, I love what I've done after I left the military, but back to this whole drama issue, I just, I mean, I almost traumatized myself for this journey of soft rep because, I mean, you were in, you were involved when you saw kind of Cray Club blowing up and yeah. I just hired the wrong people. Like I went back to business school. I went to the special program at Harvard and finished last year uh, called Owner Presidents, like a like an entrepreneur's MBA because yeah. I'm like, what did I do wrong? And now I went back to school. I'm like, I hired just the wrong people for the wrong job. They I, I, I feel like there's a few different things because truthfully, and I was going to, you know, like in preparing for this show, wanted to talk about like there was nothing cooler I think I've ever done in my career than like working for Safrep when it was in its infancy. Yeah, because it was it was like new uncharted territory. There was no site doing what we did then truthfully i mean i never would have left if things didn't change and i did feel like you truthfully started to lose some interest and i felt like the thing well, it was, that got us to a certain point was special operations and military veterans talking about their time in special operations and then i'm going to be honest like i'd come in every few months and it would be like we're doing a dog crate club we're doing this no, thing it's, the and thing i was, was like crate club this is the took... best thing that we have why yeah, no, I... that's that that's why if people I want agree. to know why i left that's no, kind of a lot of it so in hindsight i i agree with you 100 percent the the problem was software was a great it's always been a great business it's still a great business um i i, I kind of got re-energized we could talk about it later if you want but we're doing a lot of stuff with ai and content you, but you were into AI before a lot of people. Yeah, but the Crate Club became this Godzilla in the closet. And Chris, this thing grew from zero to 15 million revenue in almost 22 months, yeah. right? It just became a monster. And then you have like three boxes, three to four products per box. We're cutting checks for half a million dollar orders, spending a million dollars on Facebook ads every month. Like it became a beast. And I'm like, it got out of control and it was like, it just overshadowed soft rep in, yes. in, in a in a very negative way, right? Yeah, and it and felt I, like I could tell Chris. I mean, at these meetings, and look, a lot of the former soft rep people who are probably listening understand where I'm coming from. It became soft rep is like our cornerstone, awesome yeah. thing. We have writers who are volunteering with the Peshmerga. We have yeah. writers all over the globe to. This is like a little side thing, and our main thing is this crate club, and it you know, was, and a million other ideas. That you it had, it was honestly. meant to just like make a little bit of extra money in the e-commerce, and it just became out of control and got too big. And then I was used to running soft rep in a media business, not juggling inventory and supply chains yeah. and negotiating with warehouses. And I'm like, and then it's like I'm. People are like, yeah, I'll, I'll do the job. And they had no experience doing the job. And, you know, look, I, I love Drew Dwyer, and we lost Drew. To, yeah, we've to, spoke about many yeah, times it's, on this show. It's a tragedy. I, I worked with him um, when I was a GRS guy in Iraq, and I love Drew. But it just, you know, he was – it. and then the other thing is a guy that I, you know that was working with me was, was also a, a – he had been a recovering uh, – addict and was covering for drew like that 
it took me a while and I figured out this guy's got a like addiction problem. Why have you been hiding it from me? Oh, well, you know, I'm in the program and I just wanted to, do, you know, I'm like, look, we're, we're trying to run a business. Like we can be compassionate and get him help, but he shouldn't be like in the role he's in negotiating with vendors and over buying. Like we ended up because of the Drew issue, having $2 million of extra inventory we didn't need. And I remember hearing about that and Chris heard about it. And here's the truth. Like Drew was a great friend of mine. So I always have said to Chris, and I said this to him off air, like I've always heard Drew's side of that stuff. I never really heard yours, but I do know, yeah, there were vendors who were pissed. I know that. Oh, fuck yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, then that's, I mean, look, I love Drew. He's, he was one of the most squared away guys I've worked with in Iraq. And I, I don't know what happened. I went to his wedding in Italy. Um, I knew his wife. And I don't know if it was the – and look, the VA is terrible, right? I, I just did a visit uh, a few weeks back. Just a terrible experience. And and they will just prescribe you whatever, right? They'll And I don't even know if they cross-check it. But I, I, I don't know what happened to Drew. But we lost him to addiction. And he was dead six months after – I think we let him go and it sucks, you know, because he was a, like, a, he had a great heart. But again, it ultimately, I'm the CEO. It's my responsibility. Um, and that's why I went back to school. I'm like, I need to like really look at myself and, and figure out like what, what happened. So I, I don't let this stuff happen again. Um, and yeah, it's it just, it, the whole thing was tragic. And you know, the, the best you can do is just, learn from it and, and move on with your life. And I've been on the earth long enough now to know, like, none of us gets out unscathed, right? Like, life always <laughs> throws throws stuff at you. You always have to deal with um, I was, like, in Portugal last month. So I moved to, to Lisbon this year. And I'm like, wow, my life is really good. Like, I don't have any stress. I'm not dealing with this, like, American politics because you just – they don't talk about it in Lisbon. And I'm like – Okay, something's gonna happen. You know, it's like, when's it gonna happen? So, but yeah, look, it's and uh, I mean, business. If anyone has run any business, big or small, they know it. It is tumultuous. You deal with people, and people have inevitably have problems. And you know, I remember the first time I got sued. That my friend was like, "Oh, welcome to entrepreneurship." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, like, yeah. It's like, oh, now you have a real business. You've been sued. So look, it always. I mean, look at look at fucking Trump's been sued how many times and declared bankruptcy how many times. The guy's a billionaire, you know. So it's yeah. just, you know, it just comes with the territory. But back to what Chris and I were talking about, I'm just at a stage in my life where I just want to be there for my kids. I want to mentor my kids. I want to create content. Um, I love SoftRep. The reason I want to sell it is just. Um, you know, so I can make sure it has a good home. You know, we're talking to a couple different strategic news, like bigger news organizations that need that niche content. And look, SoftRip is still great. It's still kind of near to my heart because we've outlasted. We had we were the first and we had a bunch of competition and now we're kind of almost the last man standing. And we're doing a lot of cool stuff like with artificial intelligence, like we have like an AI journalist, essentially, and an analyst. I saw it, yeah. And if you look at our images lately, we're using Midjourney to create incredible like images that are really, um, really fit the stories, you know, whether it's 
you know, China and Taiwan or, or to in using AI to take a look at the Roman Empire and the, the lessons learned from from uh, Roman warfare and stuff like that. And we're getting this just like amazing images and at a research tool out of GPT-4. Um, and it's it's turned good writers into phenomenal writers. It's like my son's a machine learning coder. He codes in Python. And the way he uses GPT-4 is crazy. Like I've watched him type in a 500-word prompt to GPT about how to code. So it makes a good coder 10x, 1,000x. I think it's just crazy what, what it can do. So it's, it's exciting for what it's done to software. Um, but it's just, you know, I, I'm, I'm ready to take um, – <laughs> kind of like motor off into the sunset of my my boat or airplane whatever you want to call it um i know i keep looking at the screen yeah well, i want to make sure chris jumps like, in with something no, but i'm yeah, like I'm, i don't know look I'm, at the I'm, camera I'm, or the I'm, screen I'm, like no you keep you like whatever i'm, I'm good I, I i i think i'm getting to a point where i can now shut up where i used to in the beginning you know, i'll tell you this the beginning interviews I forgot I was the interviewer, and I <laughs> yeah, thought I was the yeah. interviewer, and I would I would over talk the actual guest. I'm like shit, I got to work on this. So speaking of having to, yeah, yeah I, I got to work on training myself in AAR and figure out what I'm doing. I do that after every episode. So, I, I it's it's so nice when somebody comes in, and most of our guests, the majority of them, are like that they'll they'll talk because then I don't have to. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to. Like, and it's it's so, but you know the second all that the merch, I get the merchandise, dude. I that's why. I don't do a lot of merchandise. Yeah. When I when I did a lot of these corporate speaking events, I, a lot of these people I do with these companies, and and they will tell you the the best most successful company out there with merchandise is somebody that has a f warehouse full of full of stuff. You yeah. have to have stuff before you sell it. And it yeah. sounds like that with Crate Club when it went off, it's like, oh crap, we don't have enough stuff. We're getting too much. And yeah. I remember a lot of those guys, those corporate, and I learned from them. And also, I don't do merchandise, but a few things because it can be a headache. But man, it's like man, I, you gotta have you you gotta have inventory. If you don't have yeah. inventory, you're f and pretty yep. much you're pulling your hair out. Um, but you know, no, I think all you said is is you know, business wise, you, know, you can teach a lot of veterans about business. You've been through it. You've been yeah. on the bigger scale, or and also where something grew too fast. But on the other side of the house too, with the with the purpose, and that's huge. We always had purpose in the military. It was it, we were we were given purpose, yeah. even if we didn't want it. We yeah. had to have purpose. This is the op order. This is your purpose. I don't want it. Fuck it. You were going. You got it. You <laughs> yeah, have no choice. Purpose, uh... And when we leave the military, brother, I I I, I know you pro you've seen this as well as that. Nobody's giving us purpose anymore. We have yeah. to figure that out for ourselves. And I think that's where the transition guys have a hard time. Yeah, is now we don't have the purpose to transition because we're not goal setting. And our goal setting turns into now that we have it's too easy on this thing. Yeah. Our goal setting now is to tear each other up on social media. Yeah. And and, and that's a shame. Yeah. You know, it it does. Shame. It it it. I man, I get I get trolled. I got trolled a couple weeks ago on a like, and, and it it used to piss me off. It really yeah. did. But there back in the back, actually back during during the days when you and I, I were doing Crate Club together, right? You know, we're. Uh, but I also realize i can't do nothing about it it comes with the territory yeah it's it, a shit it does come with the territory it it but it bothers me in a couple different ways that i don't think the military especially i would say the seal community and the special operations community they they don't do a great job helping guys transition and creating a, a strong alumni network i have a stronger alumni network through harvard 
than I do the SEAL teams. And that's a shame. You know, the SEAL have an annual reunion. It's more like a drink fest and talk shit fest. Um, and I just think it's a shame when I look at I'm, – I'm a private pilot. I love to fly airplanes. I'm in with this group of guys, our ex – fighter pilots from the Air Force, Navy. One guy, Bill, flies with us, has 400 hours and fly, is it, is it flying the space same, shuttle. Still the same hangar in California? Yeah, so they yeah. did get to sleep over there. Yeah, it's no, cool, Ian's cool seen place. it. It's a cool yeah. bunch of guys, and they have a strong alumni network. They respect each other. They re they support each other. Um, and they have this like strong support network. They help each other get jobs. In the spec ops community, it's the it's the opposite. And that's that's the what I find just it's kind of a shame is that, look, Anyone in the public eye is going to get trolled, but but to get like overly trolled by people from your own community. Oh yeah, I, I mean there were people harassing you yeah. that wanted you people to show up at your house and stuff. I mean, yeah, no, yeah. it's just a shame. Like people going after, even like going after my kids. You know, like yeah, that's, and that's, that's unsat. That's unsat. You know, and it, no. you know what's weird too. I was gonna because I was gonna mention, and I definitely want to get into Gwen Doherty because since Chris is only here yeah. for a limited point, because and that's such an important thing. But like yeah. the inner branch rivalry stuff, it's it was interesting to me as an outsider who came in because a lot of it is just having fun and yeah. like joking about each other and the Rangers are better and the SEALs are better. But I noticed like when I came into Safra, there were certain people with like a hostility towards and I'll, I'll give you an example here. <laughs> but it was it was very real because when I said that people think Brandon and I hate each other, which we don't, but we haven't spoken for years. The people that like you really don't like are some of the same people I really don't like. And I won't say names, but like, remember, there was a writer at soft rep who every fucking picture he had to write, not a seal and everything yeah, had to say, yeah. not a seal. And it's like, dude, you realize you're working for a company run by a Navy seal and everything you write is disrespecting the seals, like something you're proud to be a part of. It was what, what are you doing? And there were there were people like that who I did see were very like they they had no um, gratitude for like. Well, and a lot, the site. a lot of what, looking back in hindsight, a lot of the, I, I would say all of the major issues I had with writers and employees were they had, they had a substance abuse issue. It was drugs or alcohol, like every one of them. Cause I was like, what did I do wrong? I'm trying to like, they all show up hat in hand. They want an opportunity. They want a book deal. They want me to help them get a book. They, they want me to give them a job. And I look, I have a soft spot in my heart for veterans. I, I and at that point and I, I was inexperienced as a as a business professional. And so I give them a job and then expect them to behave professionally like you can in the military, right, Chris? You you just have yeah. that it creates that environment that just commands respect and trust. Yeah. And well, and you do have those layers of leadership that yeah. if somebody steps out of line, you're going to get your your dick smacked. Yeah. But there were also where, people where who in thought... the business world we can't we can't do that. We can't. Yeah. If I somebody wish. steps out I of wish. line, no, that, that's yeah. an EO complaint. That's no uh, way you're going to get sued. You're going to. It's like you you can't just say, "Hey, motherfucker." <laughs> but I was going to say there were even people who, shit away. who yeah. thought like that their military um, resume had anything to do with their resume as a writer or because there were people I remember that'd be like, I had way more combat deployments than Brandon. I did that. and it's like, but that has nothing to do with what we're doing other than that you can write about these combat deployments. So yeah, there was stuff yeah, like that that I just and, but mo by and large, most of the guys from the site I really like. And yeah. we've had most of them on. Like we've had Corey Lanus on the show. I can't say his real name. We've had we've had I don't know why I can't say this guy's real name because he's real on social media. We've had James Powell on the show. Like we've had Jack <laughs> yeah. Murphy on the show. And by and large it's funny 
funny. Chris was saying to me before we recorded that I'm like, I'm too nice. There are people I don't like, but by and large, I do get along with mostly everybody who was at the site. And I loved working for the site. Yeah. So I, there was I, nothing cooler than working for the site when it was at its prime. Yeah, so. yeah. No, and look, you know, we're larger traffic-wise than we were when you were with, with Safra. But but I agree with you. There was a there was a kind of swashbuckling, really fun time where where we were like you know the only show in town they were pioneers yeah, and it was the best, best point in time too because it was like the site was at its peak for me around like the time of the bin laden shooting and people knew if they turned on cnn or fox news they were going to get like a little blurb on bullshit, navy yeah. seals but people it's crazy to think this because it's it's not as long ago as you would think but no one really in for the general public knew what SEAL Team Six or Dev Guru was. Yeah. It was it was like an underground thing almost. And yep. now it's like Disney is doing stuff with SEAL Team Six. Everyone knows <laughs> SEAL Team Six. Yeah, and yeah. we were writing about it though from a perspective of like guys who have been there and done that. And it wasn't just a two minute or a thirty second hit piece on Fox News. It was really in depth. And yeah. like that that I, was what was so cool about I, the site to me. And I I think you and I talked about this before, like back to Jack. Jack, I have a lot of respect for Jack. Jack is an incredible writer. Um, where Jack and I had a disagreement was I didn't want the site to continue to be antagonistic towards the military. I thought it's causing us so much headaches. And, and a lot, oftentimes I was the lightning rod for a story Jack would write or authorize a story, especially like that, that Niger ambush piece. That was, yeah. Um, like I woke up at 10 a.m. and my social media was just blown up. I had no idea what the and, hell And I could tell happened. people this who are still mad at you over the Niger thing. It was neither you or Jack Murphy. Yeah. It was a writer who wrote under a pseudonym who actually hit me up on Facebook and was like, hey, what's the password to the YouTube? He works for the site already. He's going to upload something to YouTube. I didn't know that what was going to be uploaded was a ambush of Green Berets with, and it looked terrible, with a giant softrep.com watermark. People were furious. Yeah. yeah but yeah, you yeah. guys took the hit. And, yeah. and that was when, I don't know if I agree with this, but you were saying, all right, no one writing under a pseudonym anymore. Yeah, no, and, I, I wanted accountability. I wanted accountability with the writing staff. Uh, because when you write under your own name, it it matters, right? You you have. But there's some guys who can't write under their own name. Yeah, for, but they're, I just they're active duty. Yeah, or... but go write on your own blog. You yeah. know, you're not going to do it for for us anymore. But the main the main issue Jack and I had was, and the re, he quit over it. Was I said I don't want to be. Look, we can we can do more and get more accomplished if SOCOM will return our calls because they don't see us as an antagonistic news yeah. organization. Yeah. No, I, 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 I agree. I, I, and I saw being on the outside looking in, brother, we felt that way a lot yeah. of times. Like, and I see Jack's fuck, perspective dude? too, because Jack yeah. is very much like, he'll probably end up watching this, very much the investigative <laughs> journalist. Yeah, and he'll he's always a say great like, journalist. And he'll always Jack. say, I don't care about making friends with these people. Yeah, like, Jack. I want to write a great piece. But I'm looking and, at, yeah. I'm looking at the big picture and I want to, I want the military to look at us as a resource in the in a sense like look we're not going to parrot anything that the community says but if they have if they see that cnn or the new york times is is reporting something just terrible like they can come to us and and we can we can get the get the right story out there um and, and see us more as an asset than than an antagonistic kind of like oh we can't talk to them they're just going to freaking 
throw us under the bus. I just didn't want that anymore because it was it was causing me a lot of personal stress. And I saw as, as an organization, we could do much more because they'll give us access. And now we're starting. We've been at the last SOFIC conference um, and, and we're seeing like it's taken time to kind of rebuild that trust. Um, but we're getting more people to start reaching out to us again. So, so it's, it's, it's taken a while, but I, that was the main issue that, that Jack and I had. And, and again, like Jack and I th- is an incredible writer. Yeah, like as he, someone who's on the inside, I think it was a lot of issues and it was a lot of issues for me. You know, yeah. there are a lot of reasons. I but that's why we yeah. had this conversation. I remember it at, at Soho house and yeah. I said, look, this editorially, this is what we're going to do. I don't want to go after person by name and like trash this general's career when it's probably much bigger than that. And we can go after the organization as a whole and say, look, the leadership of this unit or this organization needs to address these issues, but I don't want to like ruin a guy's career unnecessarily. Um, and, and it was just a different, a different philosophy towards how we were going to run the content on the site. And Jack's like, I don't want to do it. I quit. Yeah. And he, um, I, I and I'm sure there was other day. things, but that, that was yeah. That I, was the last thing. I think to this day, like that is how he likes to write. He likes to really dig into things yeah. and really do in-depth pieces, and he's great at it. Hope you guys are enjoying this interview with Brandon Webb, a guy I go way back with. Uh, before we continue and we get into a whole bunch of other topics, Fort Scott Munitions is a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition. It's designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you receive the same results with each pull of the trigger. Fort Scott Munitions is available throughout privately owned businesses in all 50 states, but you can just go to the dealer locator on their website, or you could order right there at fsm.com if you want to order online and you'll get a discount through us when you use the promo code BATTLELINE. So it's very simple, fsm.com. You don't have to spell the whole thing out and use the promo code BATTLELINE for 15% off. Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, Battleline Tactical, and the Battleline Podcast. Once again, guys, go there now. They've got great gear. They've got ammo for whatever you're shooting with. FSM.com, promo code BATTLELINE. Also, one of our longtime sponsors, truly, I know through Brandon, and I met Sean Lake through Brandon, and that's none other than Bub's Naturals. And you were the first to tell me about what Bub's Naturals was doing with collagen protein and giving back to the Glenn Doherty Memorial Foundation. Yeah, no, look, Bub's is legit. Um, one of Glenn's closest friends, Sean, started it, and uh, he's always had that. I, I feel like a lot of companies out there give lip service to kind of giving back, but Sean, like, they don't, Bub's doesn't mess around. Like, it's great product, but they are very serious about giving back to the community, which is yeah, ten percent of, yeah. of everything goes back to the Glenn Doherty Memorial Foundation, um, as you'll see here. Yeah, and it, it explains Bob here, which you guys have heard about during this show. But Bob was an adventure seeker, a river guide, skier, Ironman competitor, fitness fanatic, chef, gardener, handyman, and an epic storyteller. 
and a national hero, a Navy SEAL who saved lives and was always the life of the party. And yeah, that's why they give 10% back uh, to the Glenn Doherty Memorial Foundation, which helps out uh, the kids of special operations, military veterans. We've seen them do stuff for like scholarships and that type of thing. And it's just a great product. I mean, all around. No, I, it is. I've been using it since I learned of it with you. Yeah, no, Sean, look, um, Sean and his partner, they've, they've done a great job. Like, they're pros. I mean, Sean was was a big marketing guy at uh, DC Shoes, and yeah. he's, he's a pro, man. He, he knows how to do it. You know, And he's, I think one of the things I really respect about Bubs and, and what Sean's built is they've, you know, everyone wants to like run out there and do it all at once, but Sean's taken a very methodical approach to it and, and done things right. And and I think, I mean, I know Glenn would be would be super stoked with with what's going and the product and and uh, the way you know Sean Sean's gone about it. But the product's amazing. Yeah, you know? I and, think when I first met you, it was just the collagen protein. Yeah, and then and MCT me. oil powder, apple cider vinegar gummies, yeah. Bub's brew, hydrator dye. So they, they've really expanded, and our listeners love them. We get great feedback all the time, guys. So check it out, bubsnaturals.com. Use the promo code BATTLEWINE, and you get 20% off, and you support the show and all that. So it's bubsnaturals.com, promo code BATTLEWINE for 20% off. And now back to the rest of this interview with Brandon Webb. The uh, only reason I'm going to rush into this next thing is because I know Chris is limited time. And I think, at least for you, Chris, this would be the most important thing we get out of this interview is I know that Glenn Doherty was a great, would, would you say best yeah. friend of yours? Or Yeah, it was. I met him weeks before Benghazi happened. No, Glenn you. and I go way back to SEAL qualification training. And we were in the same platoon together. Then we were the two new guys that were selected um because we're uh, the better shots in the platoon that our ch- chief uh, Dan came to us said you guys are gonna go to sniper school and it and as new guys in the seal community that wasn't that wasn't a thing normally that happened to new guys you had to do a deployment and get some experience hey, which which Dan Dan, Dan. Can you say his last name? I don't Did think he I work can... at Blackwater or anything like that. I, I just... don't think Dan worked at Blackwater. Okay, his last name starts with a G. Okay, um, yeah, and he was a corman. Yeah, you gotcha, gotcha, I'm thinking gotcha. when Chris Speck was on the show and said "Dirty Dan," is that the same? <clears throat> Dirty, I, yeah, I can say Sam Simpson, Dirty Dan Simpson. Yeah, I know. He was different he, Dan. Different Dan. Okay, yeah, different I, Dan. I, I had much. He taught. You know, he was a fucking great shooter. Dude yeah. taught me a lot about shooting. And my my yeah. Dan did too. Our Dan was amazing. <laughs> Must be the name, dude. Yeah. But um, so yeah, Glenn and I went to sniper school. Like lived in a freaking you know dirt mud and piss together for three months did a platoon <laughs> together a whole work 18 month workup cycle together um we both love the water and snow sports you know he came to my dad i have a really fun story maybe i'll tell you after chris left it um <laughs> one one of glenn's friends um that stayed with my dad in wyoming when he was in wyoming because we used to go to my dad's house and ski glenn and i would go ski grand targi um and this this friend uh the short version he's he my dad I say, hey, dad, one of Glenn's friends coming through. Can he stay at the house and ski? Yeah, yeah. Well, the guy got so, f- so shit faced the night before, like hit on my dad's neighbor, got in a fight with the, one of the neighbors. And then my dad comes down. One of my f- dad's friends is going to take the take this guy skiing. And he knocks on the door. No one answers. He opens the door and he's hit by this like sewage smell. And the guy had literally was in the kitchen, passed out, pants around the ankles, and had shit all over my dad's kitchen floor. Oh. My dad is like, hey, none of your buddies are coming here ever again. Like, <laughs> like this is wild, man. Like, uh, but anyway, yeah, Glenn and I were, were, were very close. We, uh, 
I had talked about him or I talked to him about uh, SoftRep uh, because he was supposedly going to Libya. It was going to be one of his last deployments. He had and that's been, what Sean Lake said on the show with us. Yeah, and yeah, he said, yeah. like, this is yeah, it. Yeah. And I was – Sean and was living in Glenn's house in Encinitas, and we were in Glenn's backyard talking about this. Um, and, yeah, it was just – it was super tragic. And, again, like, the whole way the – just the timing of that and the – I mean, I was traumatized by it. I mean, his – his uh ex-girlfriend who faked that she was a fiance at the funeral you know tried to freaking come on to me when i was sleeping in his bed in the house like it was just all sorts of crazy shit and, and then like jumped on the the hate brandon bandwagon after i i left i i just i got my my truck and drove home at like two in the morning um and just like all the media and the drama and everything it was it was tough man i i called i don't know if sean told you this but i'd found out through one of my friends at the agency, because I heard the rumors on, and all his friends, like Sean included, were like, hey, what's going on with Glenn? And I'm like, oh, I heard it's State Department guys. Like, and Glenn doesn't work for the State Department. Um, and then I got into my Land Cruiser in the parking lot of San Diego Airport, that long-term parking, and I texted my friend, and he was like, hey, I'll call you in five minutes. It's not good. And then I just knew, and then he told me, um, and I cried for 20 minutes and then I called Sean and then Sean didn't believe me. He's like, look, I can hear it in your voice. Um, and I was like, dude, you're going to get a knock at the door. I was like, just call me. And then he called me back, I think 30 minutes later. And it was, it was like terrible media were camped out. It's like, no, just terrible. Like six in the morning camped out at the house. Yeah, but yeah. I was going to add, cause that's, you know, we didn't get it. We, of course we were all still working and we were at home yet, but how did that, is that, what happened because that's what i heard i just never corroborated it corroborated it how did the media i mean they knew right then and they were there like they 24 were... hours like after the incident oh yeah even, or, it was wow it was instantaneous like i <clears throat> by the time i drove up to encinitas i think i went home and i went to see sean they were already there wow. um and they were just and then like knocking on the door the next morning at 6 a.m the local news trucks just trying it reminds me of that song dirty laundry by don henley it's like these made up beautiful women with the freaking mic and the phone and the camera and the lights and you know yeah. just ready for the juicy drama news story um and so i just helped sean fend him off was and, sean's with his wife at the time because i know sean's no, wife is a reporter so no he was he was um i he may have been engaged to heather um but she was for sure like a serious girlfriend at the time um because i'm like she'd be able to handle no was she well she couldn't want to get she didn't want to get involved because she definitely helped heather was extremely helpful as well and and she her and i kind of handled the blocking and tackling uh around the media and so i lived at the house a few days and until until the nightmare ex-girlfriend like hit on me and then um then i just stayed stayed out of the house but uh yeah it was um but that's that's how it happened it was a, because of the you know the second obama election it was highly politicized yeah. as chris knows more than anybody oh, yeah. and yeah it was just and i had lost my best friend and i'm like dealing with with the press and and everything it was, it was tough it was like a tough time it took me couple years to get over that i think that was harder harder for me and also because 
being friends, and Chris knows this about Glenn, I don't think there's a person that would ever say a bad thing about Glenn. He just had that personality to him um, where I look at my own self and, and in the community, like I figure I consider myself a good operator. I did a great job, but, but I, either you, you really liked me or you <laughs> hated me. Cause I, I, I was, I mean, I was the head of the instructor school. I had to send guys home, you know? And, and I remember Eric Davis would be like, Hey man, I got, I got the student failed, but can you have the talk with him? I'm like, yeah, send him on my office. It's like, dude, you didn't meet the standard. Get the pack your shit and get out of here. And you know, and you don't get win a lot of friends that, yeah. that way. But I was just like cut and dry. But Glenn just had a way about him that every, everyone loved the guy. And being his friend was like armor. It was armor for me because he would just take it was like freaking a chest plate, you know? Yeah. He was very yeah. protective that way. And when I lost Glenn, I lost I lost that. And yeah, I didn't have I didn't have my fucking body armor anymore, to be honest. Yeah, I just, just saw, I, I, yeah I, I I do remember when they came in when they finally got to our place, and and the movie actually did a great job showing that. And I remember because I did, I was like, "Hey, fuckers, welcome to the party! Finally here!" And yeah, <laughs> I remember the team leader, great guy, not not our team leader from our base, but our country team leader who was a former force recon guy and was a contractor that went to, went to the blue side. Great guy. And him and Glenn both looked up at me and went like this. It's like, yeah, they're, they're here. But that, you know, even then, even him flipping me off still made me smile. If that yeah. tells you anything about Glenn. No, right? that's and Glenn. It, <laughs> yeah. Like, and after what was what the fourth firefight we'd been in and, uh, it's just one of those things like, yeah, like these guys, yep, they know it's me. Glenn's flipped me off, but I know he's happy to be here. And yeah. he knows he's like, Tano, just shut the f I know he's saying that in his breath. Tano, shut the f up. Yeah. There you yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but, yeah, how did, how did you, with the media and all that, how did, I, I think they're, for being there right then, I mean, just no fucking ethics, no integrity. How did, how did you fend them off? And how did you do that without losing your shit? without just going I, I i don't know how i could i couldn't do I, I mean i think what helped is that i was working in the media and i had friends in the media like buck sexton will sure. andrew yeah. wilkow yeah um and so i knew i just knew like look that they're just essentially doing their job and albeit it sucks is that how um, they rationalize it though is i'm that, sure I'm, they I'm i mean I, i'm guessing i mean they, come on but yeah it's just look, I mean, it's, i've experienced it in the media i mean I, it, yeah it goes back to the i don't know when Don Henley wrote Dirty Laundry, probably in the <laughs> yeah. 70s. But he's like, she'll tell you about the plane crash with a gleam in her eye. They're just, you know, give me that dirty laundry. And, and that's, they want to be the first to break the story. And, and they're kind of clawing their way up the local news ranks to go national. So it's, I mean, think of after school shootings, right? I yeah, mean, they're yeah, dealing with children who and, are experiencing the most traumatizing event. And hey, do you want to go on with Anderson Cooper? Yeah. You're like, that's, that's how they work. So. And... and so I Look, really don't like doing mainstream, you know, and and I consider all, I mean, Newsmax, Fox News, they're all in the same category to no, me, yeah, really. Yeah, so. yeah. No, it's, yeah. and, and I think the media and, and government in America need to change. Like, I think we need drastic overhaul of our political system, um, and the media has to do the same. I mean, we saw the media change at 9-11. It, it was when it became a 24-7 feed-the-machine yeah, yeah. news cycle, yeah. and, you know, how... Back to your question, Chris, I, I think I just I understood the media and and I just was like firm and, and 
would just tell them to fuck off over and over. I was told like they would yeah. come and knock 30 minutes later. I was like, look, it's the same answer, you know, and it'd be somewhat different, but, um, it was, it was tough. Um, but, um, you know, and I, I remember the funeral too. Like I love Glenn. Glenn didn't want a funeral. He put it in his will specifically. We did it for his mom, Barbara. And I'll mention this. I mean, yeah. you know, and Sean yeah. has mentioned it on the show, like you guys paid for the funeral, not yeah. the state department. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. and that was, that really pissed me off, Chris. Like I was angry about that because I, I was going to, can you go in? Cause I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. Cause I knew we all knew that happened. We, yeah. we were also working, but we knew that the state department agency was, they weren't doing, they weren't doing, we already, we already saw the writing on the wall. They were going to do shit for us. And yeah. we knew. So and, and what, can, what made it, what made it worse was that I saw the family paraded around the white house. Um, and, and I think this is, I, th I think I get this right when I say, um, Glenn's sister used to be super liberal and, you know, they got after the family got invited to the white house, just son, your brother's a hero. They kind of had their press moment. Then they just cast the family off. And that's when I think the family were like, Oh wow. We're like, they just don't give a shit anymore. They don't. And, and then I remember Sean and I having this conversation and he was saying, look, this was after we went to Boston for the funeral. Um, he's like, look, Barbara's stressed out. Like she had to cover all the costs, like 50,000. I'm like, okay, where's the life insurance money? Yeah. Where's the government? Cause the government, the family told me that when they went to the white house, they say, don't worry about a thing. We're going to take care of everything. And they, and that was like, you know, Hillary Clinton saying that stuff. And it was just terrible. And I was livid and, and especially, because then we started getting sources. We had a source with inside the State Department, an ex-military officer, that gave us Ambassador Stevens' personal diary, like in, and was telling us like this was they were trying to cover up accountability around Benghazi, and that made it even worse for me. And I was like, that they're trying to cover it up. They're fucking the family over. This guy's a hero. I don't care yeah. who you want to vote for. This guy like gave his life for the country and you can't even help his family bury him. Like the mom is like stressed out because, you know, it was something around fifty, sixty thousand dollars in funeral expenses. Yeah. And so yeah, me and his friends paid for it. But I was pissed. And and then, you know, Sean, hats off to Sean and the family. Like they went after the agency and I th I think it was uh who was the CIA director, Chris, do you remember? Uh, it, at that time, it was, well, when it happened, it was Petraeus, and then it went to Brennan. For Brennan, yeah. And, and Sean told me the story. They went to the CIA, and Brennan's aide, whatever, pointed out the fine print in the life insurance contract. He's like, look, you made the guy pay for life insurance. You mandated they pay for life insurance. Yeah. And then you're going to point to the fine print. It reminds me of these like Netflix, HBO <laughs> privacy statements we yeah. sign. We don't even know what we're signing. Yeah. Um, and and you're not going to you're going to not pay on a technicality. And, and he just said, look, there's right and there's wrong. And this is just wrong. And then he ended up they at CIA paid not the full policy, but they ended up getting a lot of money and a lot of other families, I think hundreds of families that were in similar situations left totally hanging by the government. They got paid also. So that that's the silver lining in this. And that's what, that's what I know Glenn would be smiling down from heaven going, 
okay, yeah, you, there's some good that came out of this. Like you helped, you helped a lot of families. And so, yeah. um, but yeah, I was, I was extremely pissed. Um, and going after that book that Jack and I wrote, the Benghazi report, I remember Jack's like, yeah. we can't say definitive report. He's like, well, actually, until uh, Chris wrote his book, it was a definitive report. <laughs> um, he's like, I guess I, it I, was. Yeah, I forgot. I, I, I know I read it. We, me and Jack Silva it, and that Jack's a pseudo. Yeah. If I told you Jack's real name, you may, you probably know it. You, you'll know, you know yeah. him. Well, you would probably I can't know say already, it here. right? I can't, so, I can't, yeah, I can't yeah, say I it gotcha. here, but Brandon, I, I know you know who it is. Um, yeah, that was it. We were in Yemen though. I remember. And, and uh, yeah, I remember we were like, are you, and we saw Jack came into my room and he's like, that mother, he, Brandon, I'll tell you exactly. <laughs> yeah. He goes, that mother because <laughs> like, they're already wrote in a book i said what book we're, we just we just got back we're we're both we both went to uh Sanaa and and i was like oh shit and this is before this is when the soft rep was the only thing out there you know? yeah and 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 you guys yeah i'll tell you what we, we i know we're going full circle here but you guys do eat your own you really do i mean rangers we kind of do but the I, seals I you're talking about admit we yeah seals you yeah. guys are no and, it's bad and, it's really and, bad it, it it's it is bad it's worse it's worse than range battalion it, and rangers actually we do we do pretty much take care of each other for the most part we'll have some every once in a while but but um yeah i was like he's like what how the book come out already we just we it's it's, it's not even been three months we're back, yeah. we're back i remember working. the book by the way chris do you have to go because i know i know you have <laughs> yeah, to peace out soon bitch. there's <laughs> so much other stuff we can get to but but i remember yeah, well, the book was like you, Jack, and I think Corey Alanis, right? I can't say his real name. Yeah, yeah. No, we, we wrote. He was awesome, by the we way. We wrote man. the book yeah. very fast. Harper Collins published it. It was a New York it, Times bestselling ebook. Like it was. And honestly, you know, we did read it. I, I, I it was a long time ago, so I don't remember the specifics. But it, it, when I read it, I, it was hard for me to be too pissed. Because first of all, I wasn't a seal, so I'm not going to eat my. I'm not. That's your. That's <laughs> yeah. you guys. You guys. That's your. Well, house, Jack was so one of the cool. authors, so you could be mad but, at him. But, 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 uh, but it was also, yeah, really, it was like, well, they really didn't get any. It it was pre, it was pretty tame in my from knowing. Yeah, what I mean, it happened. was it was it wasn't it, was, it wasn't over the top. You yeah. didn't. I didn't. I don't remember any embellishing. Going no, on. no, no. And we just, didn't. We didn't write the book to make money, or we wrote the book as a because they were covering the story up yeah. and driving a different narrative. And, and it was partly, I was, I was pissed and I'm like, they, the, the story needs to come out and somebody needs to get held accountable. Patrick Kennedy, who I don't think to this day Holy has, shit. has been I'm held accountable. That piece of him and, yeah, no, we, Lamb. and we put fuckers. that out there. We're like, look, you can be mad at Hillary Clinton, but the true kind of villain here is Patrick Kennedy. Yes. And, yep. and the, the motivation was to get the foundation of the story out there um and from a journalism journalistic point of view and, and it accomplished that like we got we were on freaking news two weeks in a row jack and i were on live news every night and, and it's like if you guys weren't there who's going to be there yeah Somebody nobody has no and, idea what and that's the thing about. nobody had it that's why jack and i were on on headline news every night hannity you name it um even npr had us on um because we were telling the the story and the, and mostly about People had no idea who Patrick Kennedy was and that he was just, you know, people at the State Department were screaming for help and increased security. Um, 
and so yeah, we wanted we wanted to get the story out. So wait, if Chris well, has to go write this well, second, I, I, I'll, I ask, I'll to, ask a really I, quick question. What do you think of the movie Thirteen Hours? Oh, it's great. Yeah, no, I thought the I read the book and I and I saw the movie and I, I thought it was, I thought it did a it did a really good job. Um, I, I I do think we could have. I think, and you can, and we even said this, like Toby Stevens played Glenn. Okay. Glenn was a lot funnier. We even said that too. Like, man, (laughs) you you got that humorous part about the Siri thing, like Google and Siri, that was Glenn. But I was like, man, it's kind of machismo. Glenn is machismo. He's he's an alpha, but he was more, I was like, man, he's, he's a lot funnier. I even apologized to Katie. I was like, Katie, I'm sorry. (laughs) We we tried to get Toby. That's just Toby Stevens. He's just, they made you funny. They made you pretty much how you are. Yeah. But, but that's the thing is I was also in in, not, I'm alive too. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And again, God bless you, Glenn. That wasn't a knock on, but they got to see, that's how I was on camera. That's how I was around Pablo. You know, they got to see, yeah, if, if Glenn was here, yeah, I'm sure that they would have got Glenn more accurate, but they could only go off of what we were trying to tell him. And honestly, yeah. Toby, out of all the actors, he 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 held he hung around us the least. I don't yeah. think he really – I think Toby had an idea of what he wanted to do in his mind, and he didn't really want to hear from us how we yeah. wanted – how we were like, hey, this is how he is. But that being said, it did get the heroism, and Glenn is a f***ing hero, yeah. period. So For sure. Yeah. Cool. Hey, buddy, you can talk about Patrick Kennedy all you want while I'm gone. Blast that piece yeah, of shit. I know. All right, man. Well, yeah, no, we'll, we'll, I mean, I'm sure we'll do this again at some point, but I'm going to continue yeah. with Brian and we'll continue. Yeah, thanks. Hey, man, Chris, um, it's been too long. Yeah, I know. Anything bro. I can do, man. And if you want to bring the family over to Portugal, you got to, you got a place to stay. It's a <laughs> great country. Cool, yeah, and you come, and if you want to leave Portugal and come to Kansas, come on. <laughs> yeah, come to like middle of nowhere. But um, Thanks, brother. we definitely want. Come I on, definitely bro. want to talk about the book. Yeah. Got to talk about the book. Yeah. But before we do, the the other thing I actually wanted to ask you about was I know this from my time at the website. You spent a lot of time in Ukraine, so I yeah. feel like you could give a lot more insight than most of our guests of like what you think is going on there and your your point of view on it. Yeah, no, for sure. You you want to kick it off with that? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I guess just a backstory. I my first series. Now girl- we're picked. By the way, we're picture in a picture in right, a picture. Right. But yeah, we'll keep, that's what people will see for now <laughs> until someone comes in and changes it. Uh, so yeah, Ukraine. I first went to Ukraine. I, I had a serious girlfriend in New York who was uh, moved from Ukraine to New York when she was seventeen, I think, and um, she took me there to visit family members. I think a couple years in, into dating, and so. Yeah, I'd been to Kiev and and got she did a great job giving me a tour and we hired a tour guide and and you know you, Ukraine what people don't understand Ukraine has been at some form of conflict with Russia since the revolution of dignity which I believe was 2014 where they outed a corrupt uh regime and it was a, similar to what happened in Iran and Belarus where these youth you know, college age kids wanted their freedom and like, we're just tired of this oppressive regime. And I think a lot of this is driven by the internet and access to information. Uh, And so they had this big revolution and it was a bloody revolution. Like they shot college kids point blank with, with rice, sniper rifles, machine gun fire. It was this bloody thing. And they still fortunately forced this guy out of the country, fled to Russia. Um, And then Ukraine kind of won its independence uh, became like truly independent and then there was always this issue on the eastern ukraine with donbass it was always been this kind of almost like a d- 
DMZ, like demilitarized zone. And it, it was always like light, kind of light skirmish DMZ since 2014 up until Russia invaded. Um, so, so I went there. That was my first time. Um, I fell in love with the city, the culture. Um, and, and then I went back. I, I was at every year I go to this media event in Cannes. Um, and I got introduced to a, an agency. A marketing agency and, and I started becoming friends with the owner Andre he invited me back to Kiev so I went back to Kiev um, and then we actually used that agency with the crate club they they made some commercials for us um, and I made a lot of friends there so I, I've been there probably six times and on my final trip um, and, and my final trip I was on the rooftop of this little uh, boutique hotel called Bursa in the old old town Kiev and I asked Andre, I was like, hey, we're hearing rumors at Sofrep that Putin might invade Ukraine. And when was this? Like this, was, time? this was six months before the invasion. Oh, wow. Like six, seven months. And he was like, that's impossible. Like, there's just no way. I, he just was like, that's crazy. So then he calls me back in January and says, shit, like the U.S. diplomats just pulled out. And this is serious. And should I get my family out? And I said, yeah. And then they invaded in February. But he had got grandma, wife, kids, all moved out in schools. And uh, yeah, it was it was crazy. And I and and so, you know, it's it's a complicated situation. And uh, but I'll try and distill it. Um, you know, Putin largely was pro when he took power. It was he signaled that he wanted to be friendly with the West, like with the EU, open up trade. And, um, you know, he, I, I think Putin did a masterful job kind of overplaying his hand until he in, decided to full-on invade Ukraine. I think in many ways America radicalized Putin because when you look at what America has been doing the last 20 years uh, – Benghazi, right? We, for no one seems to know why, supported the overthrow of, of Gaddafi. Yeah. And I've heard Chris talk about different ideas, like they, you know, they wouldn't adopt the euro, things like that. Yeah. By but, the way, if I, since they're changing the logo, I think you need more water. If yeah. Someone, if one. someone could come in here and grab Brandon's water, uh, but thank keep you. going. So, um, so, but still, like, the guy's a, a leader, right? And we're he largely he's toned down his rhetoric and cooperating with the U.S. What reason do we have to over to help overthrow the regime? And today it's still a failed state, right? So is a failed kind of leaderless state a good thing for North Africa? I don't think so. So um, does it does it promote American democracy? I don't think so. So so we have that. We have Afghanistan, which I think now every, I was pointing this out in 2012. And until they pulled out, and and I think the public kind of woke up and saw, holy shit, like what a waste, like what, you know, Taliban's out of power now they're back in power. They have ninety billion dollars of of equipment, you know, not all of it's crazy, military yeah. hardware. They're like, they're like tootling around. On Did you see the video, by the way, of Biden as, when he was uh, a senator at, uh, running for president and he said that was exactly what would happen if we pulled out? End the war today. Begin to withdraw all American troops. It will take a year to get the American troops out. It will take a year to get them physically out. 
Now, if you leave all the equipment behind, you might be able to do it in seven months. And you leave those billions of dollars of weapons behind, I promise they're going to be used against your grandchild and mine someday. I don't know. Have you seen that? Like the video made it, yeah, it I, I don't around even, there. Look, I'm not, a Bi I'm not a huge Biden fan. I think Biden has serious neurological issues. I yeah. think it's a testament to... The, to our government that his hand he's being handled like he's a handler like there people are managing him the presidency behind the scenes um but but i, I don't even fault biden for the pullout i mean trump rightfully put it in motion i think to pull out how it was handled was complete disaster and what what disturbs me is that there's no accountability like no one was held accountable for that disaster of a pullout. You and I and Chris could have planned a better withdrawal over a weekend with a couple beers, you know, like honestly. Um, and so there's no accountability. And what the government, what the military at the top has turned into is just a bunch of like rubber stamp yes people. And and that's concerning. When you have a, um, when you have a senior military leadership with zero accountability, because uh, they've chased off a lot of the good good officers, and I would say McChrys Dan McChrystal is one of them, like an an amazing leader, and you know had misspoke off the record and got published by Rolling Stone and got fired. By, I remember that yeah. by, by Obama. It's just a tragedy, and so you end up with a. And you study that I study this in business school. Those are signals. When you send signals like that, then it changes an organization. And so now we have a bunch of kind of like just yes men and women um, within the the senior ranks of the military, and that that disturbs me. And especially when no one is held accountable, like who who is held accountable for the just disastrous pullout of Afghanistan? Nobody. But anyway, back to your back to your original back to question. Russia, yeah, yeah. So you have these. So America has been kind of playing failed nation builder for twenty years. Iraq, we completely destabilized Iraq. Whether you could make an argument whether we went in and should have went in or not, but the fact is we did go in, and I'm a firm believer if if you start something, fucking finish it. And we didn't finish it. We pulled out and we left a power vacuum that Iran filled. We kicked that helped kick off civil war in Syria. Saw the rise of ISIS and these. And then all of this is happening in the northern Arabian Gulf. And then guess what? Massive refugee. Um, influx into Europe, where the European Union was trending open border. Now everyone's like putting up fences and saying, I, I have enough refugees, you take them. And, and to take it a step further, I think that's one of the main causes of Brexit in the UK was this, the UK was going to be forced to take these immigrants that they saw potential terror like terrorist threat they were going to be forced to take them by being a member of the european union so they they voted brexit for brexit and excuse me when you look at cause and effect it's all the the cause is from america like running around with no clear foreign policy strategy uh now and, and at one point you have a lot of people lobbying when this was happening in the civil war in syria we wrote about this on software we we said, okay, these these senators who are calling for us to support the rebels in in Syria against the Syrian government, which, by the way, is a huge strategic port for the Russians, and Putin was clearly backing Assad in Syria. 
and we're saying, oh, let's support the rebels. I'm like, you idiots in Congress and Senate. If you took like, if you got out of your bubble of Washington, D.C., you would understand that those rebels are fucking ISIS. Like a lot of them are terrorists. Yeah, I remember, and we're going to fund that. terrorists. Yeah. Like that didn't work too well for us the first time around when we funded bin Laden and yeah. his buddies You're thinking in back Afghanistan. Because uh, I, I remember Safrep covered this where like John McCain called them moderate rebels. Right? Yeah, yeah. Thinking back to? Exactly. Yeah, that, that time period. So cumulatively, you add all this up and more, and you're Putin and Russia looking at America going, what the f are you guys doing? Now you have Trump in office. And, and Trump was wanting, Trump said this over and over, like, look, we should be allies with Russia. And, and, I, and I agree, Russia would have been a good ally. Because he said we have a common enemy in, in terrorism. They're they're dealing with it. We're dealing with it. Look, we don't have to like have sleepovers, but let's get along, and and put some things in place. So I think then you get the fact where the media went so hostile against Trump and tried to tie him to the Russians, which is totally preposterous. Yeah. But that was they were just grasping at things, and and by taking that stance, made it impossible for Trump. To imagine you're you're accused of being colliding with the Russians. Yeah. How, how is he going to diplomatically reach out and actually have a conversation? Because it just fuels the yeah. the controversy on the left. And so, so Putin's further isolated, and he's look at the West and go, "You guys have created a massive mess in the Middle East, um, and elsewhere, and Afghanistan, and North Africa. What do you? We're like this schizophrenic." neighbor that's just going around running amok and then biden takes office and he knows biden's old and you know pardon my french weak president and that's a huge opportunity for him and he's like okay i can do this and america and the rest of the world can't do shit about it and i and i think the one thing especially i i at the time, they were they ran scenarios like simulations, and I, I think a Rand Corporation, which is a think tank in Santa Monica, ran a simulation as if Russia wanted to invade Western Europe, they would do so very quickly and easily. Um, and I think that. By the way, do you want me to pour some? Yeah, there? Like no one's coming. Uh, I'm, I'm like, I can tell you. Yeah, you know, I just got over a, a cold. Oh so. shit! And 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 people watching don't know it's like ridiculously hot here in yeah, New York yeah, today. It's, it's like rough. ninety something degrees. <laughs> Thank so you. yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, keep going. I, I could, I'm like, I don't, I don't think they heard us. I don't know what's going on, but whatever. No, it's good. Thanks. <laughs> Lifesaver. Yeah. So, you know, you, I think that what we know, what we understand now that it's kind of played out, like we saw Putin, we've seen Putin's cards. Like we yeah. thought he had a much better hand than he did as far as mostly uh, uh, defense technology and, and military capability. And we're seeing now that they have a very... Um, top-heavy military, they cannot make. Uh, we wrote an, one of our guys, uh, Julian, who's a former Marine, wrote a, a, an excellent article about the the military command structure of the Russians. That they can't do anything. If you're on the battlefield, you got to just wait for some high-ranking officer to tell you what to do. Or in the American military, very junior people, 19, 20 year olds, are making battlefield decisions because the commanders have given them the strategy and the direction and they're free to kind of make decisions on their own in a, in a very dynamic environment russians can't do that they're just sitting there going what do we do uh, when do we charge the hill um, and so that that's very 
ineffective in in a modern on the modern battlefield they also the defense tech they had uh, built these new radios that piggybacked off of cell phone towers and well the first thing the russians did was in ukraine was knock out the cell phone tellers which took out their own ability to communicate and now they're having to like pass orders on cell phones which are being intercepted by the ukrainians and then handed off to the new york times the new york times did actually a really good piece uh, where they they translated all these intercepted cell phone calls and it just kind of showed more on the war crime stuff the atrocities that was that were actually happening but but these russian soldiers are actually talking about look no we don't have food we don't have ammo uh, we don't know what the fuck's going on um and so you know the situation now um russia and, and putin i think putin made a massive miscalculation he overestimated his own ability i thought he would i think he thinks he thought he would take ukraine very swiftly um an invading country typically like historically when you look back at history which which unfortunately we we don't do a lot of um an invading army it's like usually a three or four to one ratio like you need three to four times the troops as the as the army you're invading um and it's about one to one and now the ukrainian Ukrainians um, have better defense technology because of the U.S. and, and the U.K. primarily. Yeah. Um, all the stuff that the Europeans have given them is mostly American hardware anyway. So they're better equipped. They're motivated to fight, like very, very mo- highly motivated. So the last trip I went to Kiev, like you, you would think it's a Berlin because they had all this – they had a, these tech hubs and entrepreneurial um, – uh, all sorts of entrepreneurial things going on. Like they were, they were like you're seeing their freedom in action. Um, and so they, they and they've identify as Ukrainian. They speak Ukrainian. It, it's complicated in that a lot of the Ukrainians have close t- uh, family ties to Russia. So that that's where it gets a little bit complicated. But it would be like, almost like the U.S. going to war with Mexico, right? There's so yeah. many um, people from Mexico in the U.S. with family and blah blah For blah. Sure. Yeah. So it gets a little complicated, but. And then um, who's, who does our, our friend Leo Jenkins fight for with him in Mexico? Yeah, we have a few guys. Probably in Mexico he'd probably there. be a bandito, man. <laughs> Leo would put on the – which I don't blame him. Yeah, Leo's a great guy. Um, yeah. But that's kind of the overall situation. Uh, it's an unwinnable war for Putin at this point. I, I think if he had a, a way out with dignity – and that's the other thing. You can't – you don't want to paint someone like him into a corner – you have to give him an, a safe face, safe facing out, or else you risk. What does worry me is the use of tactical nuclear weapons because he could do that, and especially uh, with the current uh, leadership in America and the European Union, there is no strong leadership. Putin, I mean, just run the thought experiment. If he dropped a tactical nuke on Kiev, and, and a tactical nuke is just a much smaller nuclear device. Not, it would probably wipe out most of Kiev, but um, you know, not destroy the entire country. But if he were to do that tomorrow, I think that America and Europe would bend the knee and go, "Okay, what do we what do we have to do to end this?" So, um, and, and I don't think that would be a good situation for Putin. I think the Chinese would would be freaking out because um, you don't want some leader going around. Um, dropping nukes you know yeah. hap hap uh hazardly so i think if i was to read the tea leaves um and especially now with this wagner situation right i didn't even get into that 
the Wagner situation. And, and look, Wagner controls most of Russia's interest in North Africa. Uh, and um, you saw, like, that guy was marching on Moscow, and he's still in Russia. Last he was seen outside of St. Petersburg, outside of the FSB headquarters. So this guy is like very deep ties into the military power structure. And that's why Putin cut a deal with him. We don't know what the deal is, but um, it showed weakness. And if you look historically, if any Russian leader has shown weakness like that, it doesn't end well for him. Yeah. And so I think Putin is on his way out, whether he gets assassinated or, or whatever, gets pushed out of power. Um, I think it's the end of Russia as we know it. They probably further fracture off into to smaller uh, uh, nation states. Um, and yeah, it, it was, and it, it's just like, I think Putin was trying to cement in his legacy and it's, it's backfired. Yeah. And, and so that's that's kind of the situation as I see it playing out in, in Russia. And, and it won't end anytime soon. Like no. America, America was in Vietnam 11 years. Um, and, and the funny thing is like Putin's used almost verbatim the same verbiage as we did to invade Vietnam. Almost, I think, to kind of poke fun at us, like basically say, fuck you. Yeah. Um, like special military intervention or whatever he called it. Um, but anyway, that that's the the long story on, on russia but it's complicated no and i and i that's why i thought it you'd be a good person to ask because you've actually spent time there i know safrep has uh guys on the ground there who are writing stuff um the last thing of course i want to ask about is the book I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. like that's why you're here yeah, yeah. and we are running out of time here but yeah blind fear is the third book in the finn thriller series it's available now in all book formats audiobook you know you can get it on amazon get it everywhere first two did amazing i see the reviews for the third one are already great it's yeah John David Mann, who's been yep. like your partner in writing from the very beginning. Um, almost all the things that you've written, he's been a part of. Yeah. Uh, so actually, you know, I, I know that you were toying with the idea of doing fiction when we were still working together and yeah. then it finally came out. What uh, what even inspired you to get into it? Because you've been successful with it. Like, was it seeing guys like Jack Carr who were just like your background doing amazing with it or, you know, um, friendships with guys like Brad Thor or what? I think it was, it started, I had the idea for Steel Fear back in 2012. And I talked about it to John back then. And he's like, wow, that sounds amazing. But neither of us had ever written any fiction. But we talked about it in 2012. Um, I wish we had it on the book back then. But because then you beat Jack Carr. <laughs> yeah. Well, like Jack, Jack, um, and I know his real name, but I won't say it. But um, he's done a great job, and he's a damn good writer. Like, and, and I wish um, more guys would do that. Put the you know put their military um, experience into a more positive direction. Um, but for me, it was I just had these stories. I, I don't know. It was the same reason I got into writing. I was not a, ever a professional writer. I never trained to be a writer. I never went to school to be a writer. I think as a kid, I was my advantages were I didn't have a television for five years. I lived on a sailboat. I played Dungeons and Dragons. I had, you have to use your imagination when you play D and D. You're like Jack in that sense, by the yeah, way. Yeah. We're like yeah. And that I think that it does that. make you a better writer because you have to like be creative and use your imagination. And so, um, I had the story of how the Finn series developed was I had, before I was a SEAL, I was on an aircraft carrier, Abraham Lincoln, and we had a sexual predator on the boat and he was assaulting women and he never caught him. 
And I always imagine, like, what if it was a serial killer, like a Hannibal Lecter type, very smart person on an aircraft carrier where people die? It's a city. It's six, almost 6,000 people. It's, it is a floating city. People do die of natural causes. They get blown off the ship. They jump off the ship. They, you know, um, And so I, that was the story I pitched to John. He's like, oh, that's amazing. And, and so we just talked about it. And then I started writing it. I read Stephen's King's book on writing and because I'd never done any, I consider myself by that time a good fiction, nonfiction writer. Uh, and, but I didn't know how to write fiction, which is a totally different animal. It's like dialogue, character development. Um, and so that's how it started, John. So I wrote um, about a quarter of the book and then I asked John, hey, let's finish this. Because to sell a, a nonfiction book, like, you know, like Chris's story, they could just go to any publisher and say, look, I was sure. here, I want to tell a story, they'll buy the book on, on the spot. Yeah. But if you want to sell like a Tom Clancy novel, you got to turn in a manuscript. You got to like turn it in and say, here it is. Like, you got to show them you have the chops. Yeah. And so John and I had to write it on the side. So we finished it. We sold it in the pandemic um, with, to Random House. We have an amazing editor, Anspire, who made the book even better and said, look, this Finn character, it's got, it's a series. We were going to sell one book. And so. Is Finn based off of you? Is he Navy SEAL? No, it's a, it's a blend. It's a blend of guys that you probably even remember. Um He's he's a he has definitely some of my traits. I grew up around water and 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 was a SAR swimmer before a SEAL. But he is like childhood trauma. Like he is very much a damaged kind of anti-SEAL, uh, anti-hero kind of guy, where he's dealing with his own demons. He had this like childhood trauma. He's got gaps in his memory. Even in the first book, he thinks he could be the killer because he has these memory gaps and he's being like framed for these war crimes. He's like, and he's still trying to piece that together. Um, and so, you know, we follow Finn on his journey and after he's kind of the hero of the first book, but then he's on the run. Like he's gone AWOL because the military are hunting him down and he's trying to clear his name and put the pieces of the puzzle together very much in the same way that Jason Bourne um, by Robert Ludlum, the Bourne series, when Bourne got shot in the head, and he had this memory loss. And so um, so we're following Finn throughout right now. He's trying to pick up the pieces and, and put this together. And, he, and he's, getting, he's getting close to figuring out all, who all the bad actors are. Book two, there's a great seal versus seal scene. We have this Boone character that's very much like the, the psycho and no country for old men, um, which is a great movie. But yeah, it's been a fun series to write. We sold it to uh, we sold it to Whip Studios. It came down to Disney and Whip, and Whip is they make content for all the streamers, so it could even end up back on Disney. Um, but I, you know, who knows what's going to happen? The writer strikes going on right now. But, yeah, but it, sure. they you don't want it written by AI. That's a, yeah, I think it's so weird. They, yeah, yeah, but they did. Um, my agent at WME did a great job. So they didn't just like option the book. They're like we have a showrunner and a screenwriter already. They cut a contract and paid them. They paid our production partner uh, um, at, or they're going to, they contracted our production partner at um, Captivate Entertainment, which uh, Ben Smith, he made all the Bourne movies with Matt Damon. Nice. So I feel like strongly it, it is going to be made, uh, but it just, these things take time. You know, it's, it's unfortunately going to be probably, you know, a couple years before it comes out on a, on a streamer. Is the book a trilogy or are you going to go on? No, we, like we want to, yeah, we're still going to go on. We're, we're, we're 
concepting book four right now. So it is a, it is a, but it's going to go like, cause Brad Thor, what is he on book? Like 20. Yeah, no, but or... these things have a life, you know, yeah. like the Ludlam series is gone. The Jack Ryan stuff is gone with Tant Clancy's, yeah. you know, storyline. So the thing is when you, when you have a really deep, um, deep storyline and really good characters they can live on forever so yeah we we plan on writing a bunch in the series i think john this will be john and i's last collaboration as far as like we'll continue to write the series together but he's exploring projects on his own i've i just written my first novel on my own it's about three homeless guys at penn station okay <laughs> um, i'm i'm looking at uh writing uh i just kind of sketched out a kind of a, a sci-fi military sci-fi so but this so finn is going to go on as just you right no no, no. john and i will continue to collaborate on the series we'll gotcha. write that together but outside of that we're going to because now i have more free time i'm going to explore um because i figure i like by now i've gotten it down like i know how to write fiction and so i'm going to explore my own series outside of outside of the the relationship with the that I have a John, which is which yeah. is still a good one. It's just which has lasted like forever. I mean, he was he was with you for Red Circle, right? Yeah, we just oh, write yeah. so fast too, like together. Um, I can write a book in in ninety days. Yeah, you know, so it's like I have time. So I, I just want to be. I like being creative that way. So yeah, I'm I'm this book I uh, wrote about Penn Station about these three homeless homeless uh, drunks. Um, I think that's a, I think that's a winner, but, uh, but that's not a series, right? That's kind of a one-off, but I want to do, I'm exploring like more like, uh, if anyone's a fan of the expanse, um, something like that, more sci-fi militaristic sci-fi where I can leverage my experience, but I also love sci-fi, um, and can stay up on technology and, and, uh, but anyway, that's, so I'll be, I'll be, uh, Hopefully, kicking off my own series with that, and cool. it's still running software up till till I get it, find a good home for. Her. Yeah, no, it's all, so once again, guys, it's it's Blind Fear. It's the third book in the Finn series, uh, available in all formats, softrep.com, and then uh, at Brandon T Web on Instagram. Yeah, at Brandon, Brandon T Web on Twitter, right? Yep, and then uh, and Threads. <laughs> okay, I'm not on there. Yeah. Yet, so. um, the other thing I do want to mention because people ask about this. You can read any book as a standalone. Like we wrote it. That's cool. We wrote it with that in mind. So pick up Blind Fear. You're going to be, you don't need to read the other books first. You'll be, I think it will be even more fun to go back and, and read the first, the, the previous two. But you can buy, buy Blind Fear, read it and have a, have a blast, not feel like you're missing out. And then still, uh, you may miss some Easter eggs, but you're going to, you can read it out of order for sure. Cool. So check it out guys. And now, you know, we don't hate each other, yeah. <laughs> but, it, but I haven't seen the yeah. guy in four years. So, yeah, you know, it is cool. Again. But yeah, I, I, it's funny. Cause Chris was like, I know, you know, someone's probably going to give you shit for just having Brandon on. And I've never felt that way, man. I mean, <laughs> to me being part of the site was some of the most awesome times of my life. I and mean, we didn't get a chance to like fully get into it, but going to shot show those first yeah, years and people that. just recognizing me yeah. i i never would have thought that would happen That's not great. even at the show like off the strip yeah, people yeah. Would, hey you're ian from soft rep and like we really had such a big thing going yeah. we hung out plenty of times outside of just working together like it was a true friendship and stuff like that and that's why i mean 
look, there's definitely stuff with how it ended, which I wasn't happy about. But at the same point, I always felt like you gave me an awesome opportunity. You've Thanks. written about me in like in a positive way in your books. So I was never one of these people who was going to go on social media and have negative things to say about <laughs> you. Maybe maybe like privately between people, I'd be like, wow, I wish this would have gone differently. But publicly, <laughs> yeah, but publicly, I was never going to be that yeah. guy. I don't think that's that's ever cool to do. And I'm sure someone's going to be like, well, you did you disagreed with them? I, of course, I disagreed with them plenty of things. But yeah, look, I would I, never be that guy. Glenn and I disagreed yeah. on many things, but yeah. you still have this kind of common thread and mutual respect. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So thanks, guys. As always, um, subscribe to us if you're not already. Like, uh, leave us a comment. And yeah, we'll be back on. We'll be back in studio Tuesday with Brad Thor. So that'll nice. be really Yeah, cool. Brad's a great guy. And he, you know, shout out to Brad. He has been a huge supporter. Um, which was shocking to John and I. We're like, we realized that this kind of fraternity of, of thriller writers are, are very supportive. And Brad has been a true gentleman. Like, He's I, would, I would, yeah, I'd go to war with Brad any day. Awesome. That's all for this episode of Battleline Podcast. But we're always posting new content on social media. Follow us on Instagram at Battleline Podcast and on Twitter at Battleline Pod. That's an order. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes up every Tuesday. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. Believe in yourself. Face all challenges head on. And as always, never quit.